Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Greg Perry, and it's just a real privilege to be with you this morning. Um, I was here this weekend uh, with Vita House and Josh Eby and things going on over at uh, Eastside Community Center. Um, and I'm here as a, a partner with Vita House, representing Third Millennium Ministries. Um, we're starting a course there on the Gospels and uh, providing some degree pathways for those who are studying, enabling them to study in Spanish. Part of what Third Millennium does throughout the world is provide a seminary-level education, um, two years of training uh, at the MA level uh, in about 18 different languages. So throughout the world, our, uh, our purpose and mission is biblical education for the world for free. Um, the Holy Spirit is moving in mighty ways in different parts of the world and uh, the math is pretty staggering. Uh, so by 2050, if the Spirit continues to work uh, in the way that the Spirit is working now, we'll have 145 million new brothers and sisters in Latin America, about 255 million new brothers and sisters in Asia, and a staggering 505 million new brothers and sisters in Africa. And so if you just think for a moment about having one pastor for every 100 Christians, that means about 9.6 million new pastors are needed in 31 years. Uh, and so the scalability of that is pretty challenging. We need Bible colleges and seminaries, but the truth is that most of them are in North America and uh, Great Britain. We have a few in other parts of the world. And so seminary really needs to come to them where they're serving God's church right where they are. And that's what Third Millennium and our partnership with Vita House is all about. 
It's a real pleasure to open God's Word with you. You know what it's like here in Austin when South by Southwest comes and the city just sort of explodes. Uh, my wife is from Augusta, Georgia. She knows what that's like when the Masters comes to town. And uh, Atlanta is feeling that today. But I want you to sort of imagine, if you could, um, Jerusalem in the first century, at the time of the feast, at the time of Passover. The city would grow not to two or three or four or five times its size, but normally about ten times its normal size. But this particular Passover, the one that we have just read about in John 13, was unlike any other Passover. A lot of people were asking questions. People had heard the reports of what had happened at Bethany. Did you hear that Jesus of Nazareth has raised Lazarus from the dead? So people were wanting and eager to see Jesus. They had given him a royal welcome as he had come into the city, hailing him with hosannas, laying down their clothing and their palm branches as he came into the city. But what does it mean to really know this Jesus? Everyone wanted to know about him. They wanted to know exactly what had happened in Bethany. They wanted to see what it is that he would do in Jerusalem. But what does it mean to really know him? In John's gospel, tension has been building. We heard it first in the wedding at Cana. Jesus said to his mother there, my hour has not yet come. We heard it again in Jesus' encounter with the woman from Samaria. An hour is coming, but it's not here yet, when the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then again, we hear it in chapter 5, where Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees, and he tells them, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and everyone who hears his voice will live. Well, that exactly was the claim that people were making. That Lazarus had heard Jesus' voice. And that he had risen from the dead. And so in John 12 and John 13, the very first words of our passage here, it says that Jesus knew that his hour had come. He had gathered with his disciples slipped away with those who really knew him to have dinner with them, to have an intimate time of celebrating Passover together. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after he'd poured the water into the basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your tenacious love for the world, that you would send your own son, that he would take flesh, and that he would explain your love, demonstrate, your love to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beloved disciple, John, and that because of that love that you had for him, we have this text in front of us today. But Lord, we need the help of your spirit, even as you promised in the upper root to send the spirit 
that you might illuminate our hearts and minds and that you might equip our hands and feet that we might be doers of your word and not hearers only. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Who is this Jesus and what does it mean to really know him? Everyone who was anyone wanted to know what Jesus would do because they wanted to be on the right side of history. They wanted to know about Jesus because they wanted to be sure and be on the winning side. If he was going to bring a revolution, if he was going to kick the Romans out as was expected of the Messiah, they wanted to be ready to either be with him or to move away from him. Jesus slips away into the upper room for dinner with his disciples, but Jesus' dinners were not like the dinners of the Pharisees. The dinners of the Pharisees were much more like the Roman symposia dinners. There would be a rhetorical match, and those who won the debate would be seated in the seats of honor. But Jesus takes the basin and the towel, and he starts to wash their feet. Not even a Hebrew slave, not even someone who had become indentured because of having to sell their land or property uh, and, and to serve others. Not even a Hebrew in that condition would ever wash someone's feet. It's really interesting, isn't it, that John's gospel, unlike the other gospels, does not have any parables. Have you ever noticed that? Instead, what we have in John's gospel are these kind of living parables where Jesus demonstrates something that he's been teaching about. He feeds the 5,000, and then he says to them, I am the bread of life. This living parable is sort of like a cardiac cart in a hospital. It shocks the system of the disciples. They don't even know what is really happening. You remember in, in Luke's account of the upper room, it says that they come into the dinner and that some of them are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom. And so amidst that argument, Jesus takes out the paddles and he shocks them with this living parable, washing their feet. You see, knowing Jesus is very personal. But Jesus takes the first step. He's the head of the table. He sets the terms of the relationship. If we're going to know Jesus, he needs to know us first. If we're going to get involved with the things of Jesus and the things of his kingdom, then he will have to get involved with us first. And that is exactly what's happening here. Jesus acts like a servant, touching their feet, taking their dirt upon himself to show them the full extent of God's love. My son Stephen, when he was a tween, he had a dog named Max. And he professed great love for Max. Max was a beautiful yellow lab, nice long hair. And I remember telling Stephen one day uh, as I was going to work, I said, Stephen, Max really stinks. He needs a bath. It's a hot summer day. And uh, I get back from work, and I see Stephen pulling out the uh, garden hose. He had put it off all day long. But Stephen was still in his nice clothes. 
And so he's, it's, it's hilarious. He pulls out the hose, and he's chasing Max around the yard. He's trying to spray him. And, of course, Max is not going to sit still for any of it, right? So I get out of the car, start taking my jacket off, start taking my tie off. I said, son, let's go inside. Put my arm around Stephen. We go inside. So we're going to need to change our clothes. And then if Max is going to get clean, we're going to have to get up close and personal with Max. And so we get out there, and I get down, and I put my arms around Max, and Stephen starts to put the shampoo on him. And by the time that we're done giving Max a bath, we have all of the smell and the hair all over us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made clean, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This living parable is like a cardiac cart shocking the disciples to see and understand what it means to know Jesus, what it means to get involved with the love of God for the world. But there's more. He comes to Simon Peter. He says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. And Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. Simon Peter isn't buying in. He's a fisherman. He's a self-made man. Has his own family business. I'll wash my own feet. Thank you very much. And then when... Jesus starts to explain to him, he says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. The word there is really important because it means a portion. You have no portion of inheritance in my kingdom. And so Peter, as he normally does when he's corrected, he takes Jesus' correction, but he, he goes to the other, other extreme, doesn't he? He says, well, not my feet only, but my head and my hands and my body as well. Jesus says, those who've been bathed don't have to be bathed again, but only to have their feet washed. Don Carson's commentary on John's gospel guides us through the metaphor of water here and how Jesus is explaining this to Peter. The bath is needed for conversion. Foot washing is is that ongoing need that we have for sanctification, for cleansing. Even as we confessed our sins together this morning and heard this incredible word of forgiveness from Titus, that we've been regenerated and washed by the Holy Spirit. But this metaphor has a third purpose as well. It's an example to follow in mission. The bath is for conversion. The foot washing is for ongoing confession and repentance and sanctification. The example is the one that we are to follow in mission. Wouldn't it be good if we could know people's hearts before we get involved in their lives? If we could see who would appreciate our ministry and who wouldn't, who the takers are and who the thankful are. 
Have you ever thought about this passage and the fact that only two disciples are mentioned by name? In John's account of the upper room and the washing of the disciples' feet, only Peter, the denier, is mentioned, and only Judas, the betrayer, is mentioned. But how do we know? How can we know what Jesus knew, the hearts of those that we minister to in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces? It's so tempting, isn't it, to create these layers of protection, protecting ourselves that we might not be taken advantage of. But it's often those very layers of protection that keep us from mission. Once again, we see the enormous difference in this section about knowing about Jesus and knowing him intimately, knowing him well enough to follow him in his mission along the way. He says to Peter, now you don't understand, but later you will understand. Later, after the cock crows three times, later after the cross and the resurrection, Later, at a breakfast meal by the Sea of Galilee, when I will ask you three times if you love me, and if you do love me, that you would feed my sheep, that you would serve my people. It's interesting. The cruciform shape of Jesus' living parable here, it's, it's so essential to a true knowledge of Christ that it's throughout the New Testament. We have it again, for example, in Philippians chapter 2 in one of the earliest hymns that God's people would sing together in worship. Hear the echoes back and forth together for just a moment. John 13 Jesus, knowing the Father, had put all things under his power. Philippians 2. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. John 13. Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist. Philippians 2. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very form of a slave. John 13. Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel. Philippians 2. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. John 13. Jesus put on his clothes. He returned to his place at the table. Philippians 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In 2016, I had the privilege of traveling with Third Millennium to China. At the invitation of Richard Pratt. And we were there doing some pastor's workshops in Shanghai. And I met a pastor there. His English name is David. He's from Beijing. 
And he invited me to come back with him to Beijing. I got to ride on the super fast train from Shanghai all the way up to Beijing and uh, get to know David a little bit. He'd studied at Reform Seminary here in the United States. When we got to Beijing, he took me into a high-rise apartment complex. I don't know what you think about when you think of the underground church, but the underground church in China is meeting in high-rise apartment buildings. There's a group of about five towers, and they had ten different churches in this apartment complex. They're organized in groups of 50, so about 500 people altogether. On Sunday morning, came together about 8 o'clock for a time of prayer. I was struck by the things that they pray about. They pray about the things that we just prayed about, the births of children that are coming, people who are sick, people who are out of work. But it's interesting, they were also praying for business owners who were going to be interrogated that week who might lose their business license. They were praying for their pastor who might also be interrogated and how facilities for their schools might be seized. In fact, that's what's just been happening in Chengdu province is that the buildings that our brothers and sisters own have been seized and turned into police stations. At 9 o'clock, we worshiped together. And then at 10, we gathered in small groups. And I didn't know it, but the topic of the small group was to talk about the sermon. And I had preached that morning on this very text. I'll never forget what one Chinese man about my same age kept saying over and over again. Did you notice it here in the text? There in chapter 13, verse 10. Not every one of you is clean. You don't need to be bathed. You've already been bathed, Peter. But not every one of you is clean because he knew who was going to betray him. In fact, it's not until verse 30 that we read that Judas leaves the upper room to go out into the night to do the things that he had planned to do to betray Jesus. The man kept saying again and again in that small group, Jesus washed Judas's feet. This tests my faith. Brothers and sisters, pray for me. Judas, Jesus watched Judas's feet. This tests my faith. Brothers and sisters, please pray for me. You see, they were careful. They gathered in groups of 50 so that they could know each other by name, so they could know who was coming and who was going. But that had not prevented the government from planting spies. They had been betrayed many times. In fact, David had taken me the day before to their clandestine seminary and showed me the library, all of them photocopies, because they were hiding the originals elsewhere, because oftentimes their library had been seized. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Brothers and sisters, pray for me. This Test my faith. 
through David, the translator, he says, what choice do we have? Do we close our hearts against the love of God for the world and play it safe? Do we stop believing that the gospel can change the hearts of deniers and betrayers? Brothers and sisters, pray for me. This tests my faith. You see, knowing Jesus is very personal. Knowing Jesus is very humbling. It requires ongoing sanctification, ongoing repentance, ongoing purification. But knowing Jesus is also very risky. It means assuming the risks of his mission. It means loving the way that he loves, not knowing the hearts of those we love. Brothers and sisters, pray for me. This tests my faith. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. This written testimony about that night in the upper room. A night where they shared the meal together. But also a night in which their feet were washed. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you have washed us. We worship you because you have taken our sins upon yourself. And Holy Spirit, we ask your help that we might follow our Savior's example, that we might assume the risks of his mission in the way that we love. We ask it for the glory, the strange glory of our King. Amen.